0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, So one of the questions that we did get Uh, In the last segment, I thought it was an interesting one is talking uh, a little bit about real estate, um, particularly in the commercial real estate space. And it certainly seems like commercial real estate is getting a whole lot cheaper here. But the problem becomes, you know, when is it going to recover? That's the question. Right. So when is this, you know, commercial real estate debacle going to come to an end. And, and, you know, part of the issue is, is that, and we had been t- talk really talking about the commercial real estate space uh, since 2009 and because going into the financial crisis here in Houston, in particular, we were building buildings like crazy, right? And that's what you generally see at the, at the peak of a bull market as companies go, you know, Why am I? I why am I leasing space in a building? I'll go build my own building uh, because cash flows are great. Everything's doing good, and you know it's those types of mentality. And so we were building office buildings like crazy, and we had six million square feet of additional commercial real estate space that we didn't need at the time. And you know the financial crisis hit, and a lot of those buildings went up for sale, remained empty, etc. And so of course, going into 2020. Markets are doing great. The economy's going gangbusters. And we, have, we were building a lot of commercial real estate space. And then the pandemic hit. But here's the difference, you know, this time. That it may take longer for commercial real estate to come back around. Now, the yields on some of these things certainly look appetizing. And that's based on what these companies have been paying out in terms of dividends, previously, so when you look at these and you go, "Wow, you know, here's this commercial real estate fund that's paying you know 11 percent," be real careful with that. That's history. The problem is that at some point, we are going to have to come to a determination whether work from home is going to be the new norm now we're starting to see a lot of companies saying hey you need to come back to work right you need to come back to the office and work because we we rented all you know we own all this space you know google apple they built apple as an example built that whole spaceship complex out in california they spent billions building this building right and now everybody wants to work from home (laughs) so what do i do with this building I've got out here. So I think we're going to see more companies require people to come back to work. But the question is going to be, you know, can that sustain that? And until you start to see that turn to where people are coming back into the office buildings and we're getting more occupied and the demand for commercial real estate starts to increase, it may be a while before. You start to see real strong price appreciation in some of these commercial real estate investments. So be careful with that. You know, eventually there's probably going to be some some definite winners in that space, but it may be a while. you know one of the areas that we like in real estate is per is public storage. Uh, PSA is the company that we own. Stock hasn't performed great, pays a nice dividend, but the thesis is, is that regardless of who you are, if you're downsizing your house because home prices are too high, so you're going to sell your house, you're going to move into a lower, uh, you know, a lower priced house or maybe you're just downsizing. Kids have all left the, uh, the house now and gone to college like my, my like my wife and I we're downsizing now. Um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of crap. They got a store. Right. So it goes into public storage and kind of a recession proof idea you know that's the one area of real estate that people are going to continue to need regardless because we just simply like our stuff <laughs> whether it's a boat or a car or whatever it is we got to have our place to store our stuff we got lots of stuff so we'll definitely you know like that uh space for a while commercial estate's a lot tougher venture i think that's it's going to take a while to kind of work out okay 281 5738 that's the phone number if you want to give us a call, we'll take your questions and comments here. And, and again, I'm um, as we'll also be monitoring our YouTube channel um, to uh, take your questions and comments there also. And, and so, again, it's just a function of how you want to get here. But I'd love to take your question. Okay, let's go to the phones and we'll pick up with Ricky. He's got a question regarding valuations. Ricky, uh, welcome to the show. Good morning. I don't hear Ricky yet. We got no Ricky. So, all right. We'll, well, morning, morning, Ricky. Yeah, I was uh, just trying to get your your uh, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh oh, can you hear me? I can. Hello? I can hear you. <laughs> hello. Just go ahead oh. and ask you. Go ahead and ask your question. All right. Well. Okay. i I'm behind you. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, I was just trying to get your opinion on. What do you think 401ks, uh, all this investment of 401ks has an effect
0: on the valuations you were talking about before?
1: Okay, so interesting. I appreciate the call, Ricky. Um, we're about to hit a break here. So I'm going to, I'll start this question, the answer to this question, and then I will uh, finish it up on the other side. So 401ks are an interesting thing, right? Um, it seems on the surface that we as individuals, all contribute to 401k plans. Everybody has a 401k plan. And so obviously everybody's just throwing all this money into 401k plans. And so this has been one of the the big debates is what does the impact of these kind of automatic contributions to 401k plans have on valuations? Because if everybody's contributing to a 401k plan, and remember with a 401k plan, right? Every two weeks, money's going into your 401k plan And for most individuals, they have it set up on an automatic allocation, right? So every time my two-week paycheck comes into my 401k plan, my contribution, I also get the match from my company. So we have all these dollars that are piling into every two weeks are just automatically getting invested into various stocks, or actually, in this case, ETFs or mutual funds. That obviously goes back to that passive indexing effect I was talking about earlier, where All this money in 401k plans goes into large cap growth stocks that feeds in 33 cents of every dollar goes into Apple, Microsoft, Google, et cetera. So obviously that impacts valuations, but is it as big of an impact as other things going on in the market? So we'll talk about that right after the break and take your questions and comments here. Again, feel free to give us a call. We'll work out the bugs um, between now and the next break. Um, also on our YouTube channel, uh, feel free to pick us up there and ask questions there. We'll get to those questions as well. Um, so stick around. More of The Real Investment Show coming up. I'm host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away.
0: News you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare I plumb miss that candy coffee. Whatever am I gonna do? Don't you worry, little darling. We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? never
1: the real investment show youtube channel has all of our past presentations from candid coffee and lunch and learn to special topic discussions and all of our live show recordings preserved for you subscribe now to the real investment show
0: youtube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
1: So welcome back. So uh, if you want to give us a call, 281-558-5738. We're taking your questions kind of live here on the show. Um, got a problem with our YouTube stream right now. Brent's trying to fix it. So um, technical, technical difficulty with YouTube at the moment. Um, so just talking a little bit about 401k plans, and it was uh, Ricky had a good question about the impact of 401k plans on valuations and so the 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 premise is that because of all these 401k plans that people are contributing to that that's having an impact on valuations and there is there is a there is a point of truth to that but here's the problem i shouldn't say it's a problem it's just it's not as big of an issue as we expect because not that many people actually contribute to 401k plans as an example You know, theoretically, we have about 190 million Americans that are employed. Roughly only 50% of those have access to a 401k plan. Of the 50% that have access to a 401k plan, only about 50% actually contribute. Of those that actually contribute, a large chunk of those do not contribute the maximum amount Allowed by law, so I'm not saying it's not a significant number coming in every year to 401k plans. It is. We have a lot of money that are is being put into 401k plans on an annual basis. That's that is certainly a, a true statement. But it's not as big as a lot of people think it is, because again, it's just we just assume as individuals. That, you know, we're all contributing to 401k plans. And it is a lot, right? I mean, there, there, is a, there is a lot of money in 401k plans that have been accumulating since the early 90s. There's about $6 trillion or so in 401k plans that are all sitting out there, right? And this is why we talk about um, baby boomer wealth and Gen X wealth. Gen Xers have by far and away more than baby boomers' wealth Accumulated. When we talk about net worth and net wealth, uh, that's including equities and real estate and pension plans and all these other assets that are out there. Real estate, business ownership, those are by far and away the largest assets that Gen X's own. About 20% of their wealth is in the stock market, and about another 10% ish or so is in pensions. So it is an impact right and again as we talked about earlier we have this passive indexing effect that is driving money into the markets and that's exacerbating these valuations in assets i mean we're talking about mcdonald's trading at 10 times price to sales as an example that's problematic ultimately And valuations will matter. At some point, somebody somewhere, and this is the way just markets work over time, somebody's going to say, can't justify that anymore. You know, you take a look at a a company like uh, Chipotle Mexican Group, right? I love me a good burrito. Hard to justify a company that makes burritos trading at seven times price of sales. Again, it's just expensive. Valuation wise, still a good burrito, right? Not saying that at all. But you've got a company that trades at 40 times price to earnings on a forward basis. And that's expensive for a restaurant. Now, 40 times price to earnings for a company that's growing earnings at 25 or 30% a year, 40% a year, 50% a year, they're a high growth company, especially younger in their development then you can justify paying high valuations because eventually that earnings growth will catch up with the valuation. That's the bet anyway. But for a company that's growing earnings on a five-year annualized basis of 14%, that's hard to justify a 40 P.E. And it's much more difficult at, 14, at a 14% sales growth rate to justify a seven times price of sales. So, again, we, we come back to this function of liquidity and, and what we were talking about before is that liquidity is the driver of asset prices which are distorting these valuations. And yes, it does. And to Ricky's point, yes, it does have a, a impact on valuations of money that are coming in from all these different sources, not just 401k plans, but it's also people contributing to IRAs, contributing to Ross, contributing to, um, you know, a variety of other you know 403b plans and 457 plans that all get invested into stocks, right? It all, it all winds up. Into stocks at some point. But there are managers that are driving those positions. Right. And so where do they go? Well, as a portfolio manager, I have to generate a return. So I've got to buy the stocks that are going up. Damn be the valuations. Because if I don't, if I if I report as we were talking about at the beginning of the show this morning, I said, you know, look at the, you know, coming up in a couple of weeks here, we're going to have end of the quarter. And this is where all the portfolio managers have to produce their quarterly reports. And you damn well better have NVIDIA on your quarterly report when it goes out. <laughs> so, and it doesn't matter if, you know, you're an oil and gas mutual fund, you better have NVIDIA as your top holding if you want to stay in business, right? That's just, I'm, I'm being a little bit ridiculous here, but you get the point right these managers have to have those right stocks this is what we call it you know quarter in window dressing it doesn't it, they they have not owned that position the entire quarter but they buy it right in the last couple of days of the month so when their statement goes out and somebody rapidly opens up their statement they go, oh look they they own nvidia and amd and apple and google they own all the right stocks so it's a good fund but that's what drives these these kind of markets that's what kind of drives these problems. This is why, and, and, and here's the most important thing about valuations. They don't matter. Now, hold on a second before you go jump out of the, jump out of the, 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 the car here. They don't matter short term. So if you're a day trader or you're a short term trader and you really don't care about owning something for the long term, valuations don't matter. What do valuations tell us? Valuations only tell us what the future expectations of return are going to be. What I do know from valuations is that if I buy something that's trading at 10 times price to sales, my return on owning that position over the next 10 years is likely going to be low. Conversely, if I own something that is trading at a relatively cheap valuation, say something trading below one times price to sales that has steady growth of earnings and revenue. My return on that investment is going to be substantially higher over the next 10 years. That's all valuations tell us. Valuations tell us what's going to happen over the long term. And you can equate this back to buying a house. If you go into a neighborhood and every house in that neighborhood is $250,000 and you pay $500,000 for a house in that neighborhood What is going to be your return on that house in the next 10 years when you go to sell it? That's all that valuation tells you. In the short term, it has no impact or bearing on price short term. That is all technicals. That is all herd mentality. That is all sentiment. That's all that drives the markets in the course of a year or less. So if you're looking to invest and your horizon is six months to a year, don't worry about the fundamentals. They'll have no impact on the price movement to any great degree. Unless, you know, the only, the, the only place where that will occur is, is, you know, everybody's expecting NVIDIA is a good example. Uh, just use NVIDIA as an example. Everybody, uh, according to the last earnings announcement, NVIDIA is expecting to increase their revenue by 50% in the next quarter. So their next quarter ends in August. And they'll report. So expectations are this big price jump in NVIDIA stock is based upon this idea that earnings are going to surge by 50% in the next quarter. Where that matters is if it doesn't. If earnings only grow 35% or 40%, I'm sorry, not earnings, sales. If sales only grow by 35 or 40% in the next quarter, you could see theoretically a fairly large price reduction to adjust for that disappointment. That's about the only way that that matters in the short term, right? Valuation. Mostly in the short term, it is only about sentiment and technical price. What what is the herd doing? And right now the herd is chasing stocks. And they're particularly chasing those top seven stocks. And so those stocks keep getting more expensive valuations keep going up. And in the short term, that's all that's going to matter. Unfortunately, most of us don't have the fortitude or the discipline to invest long-term. That was, that was wrung out of us a decade ago. That ability to turn off the media and, and to just buy good, strong companies at good valuations and hold them for 10 years, the market ground that out of most investors over the last 10 years the immediacy as we were talking about earlier that immediacy of the information you know every time i turn on the television or pick up uh, you know turn or, or open up a web page it's right in front of me markets up or down that's my that's my vision that's my focus be right back after the break a couple more questions coming at you right after the break don't go away
0: the Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: And hey, welcome back to the show this morning. One of the other questions that I got uh, was talking about fixed income bonds, right? It's been kind of the big, the big issue over the last 18 months. You know, bonds had one of the worst returns on record going back to the 1700s, the late 1790s. uh, Last year, big decline in in Treasuries, uh, Treasury bond prices, corporate bond prices, as the Fed was hiking interest rates, and not surprising. And this is the concern continues, of course, is over bonds. I get lots of emails about fixed income and what's going on with bonds and lots of concern about the Fed's going to keep hiking rates. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about treasury yields, you know, they're going to go to six or 7% and, you know, it's going to be, you know, just going to devastate the bond market and lots of other stuff. And there's certainly a lot of concern over that, right? Unfortunately, most of this is not really founded in, fundamentals as we've talked about before as a bond investor and again you know we don't spend enough time on fixed income right if you turn on the media it's all about stocks this stock's going up this stock's going down this market's going up this market's going down but nobody really talks about bonds right what are they how do they work what does it mean but bonds are really very easy it's a very simple investment. All a bond is is a loan that somebody has made to somebody else. You've borrowed money before, right? You borrowed money on your mortgage. You borrowed money for your car. you've borrowed money on your credit card. Those are bonds. So what is that? Right? What is a bond? It's just simply a promise to repay something in the future with an interest. Payment. So for all the angst that's going on around fixed income, if I owned a bond, I get my money back at maturity. Now, the price can go up or down based on what interest rates do, because every day the bond that I own is getting repriced for what is going on in, on, in the interest rate environment. Right? So... Let's just talk a little – let's just talk about for a second about just the very basics of what a bond is and what happens. Somebody comes to me and says, Lance, I want to borrow some money from you. I'm like, okay. So first thing I want to do is, as a lender, is I want to look at the current environment. What's inflation? Because if I loan money out to somebody today and inflation is moving higher – That means that my purchasing power of those dollars that I lent out will be less when they pay me back in the future. So I need to account for that higher rate of inflation. So I have to charge more interest to adjust for that. I also need to adjust for the risk of repayment. How good of a credit are you? Are you going to pay me back or is there a risk you might not pay me back? So if there's a risk of you not paying me back, I'm going to have to charge you a higher interest rate because... Hopefully, I will collect enough payments from you in terms of interest to mitigate some of my principal loss if you default on me in the future. I also need to factor in other opportunity costs. You want to come borrow money from me, but I could loan money over here at a better rate. Do I want to do that? So all of these have to get factored in to the interest rate that is charged. Now I want you to think about for a moment those factors: opportunity cost, inflation risk, repayment risk, among others. Repayment risk comes from what? If everything is going fine, and and you know we've got a, a you 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 borrowed money for your business, and the economy is doing fine you're probably going to pay me back so what's the risk there recession or an economic slowdown that impacts your business negatively if the economy's growing that's okay you can you'll be able to pay me back so recession risk is a problem right so i've got to factor that in repayment risk inflation risk right inflation's going up then i've got to charge you a higher rate to adjust for that future purchasing power right if all these factors are factored in to a bond price today and the economy gets stronger and inflation goes up then that loan right has less value so the the value of that loan declines because the economy is getting stronger and inflation is rising because the economy is stronger and therefore Interest rates are going up elsewhere, which makes the value of my loan less. So if I wanted to sell my loan off to somebody else, they're going to pay me less for it because the interest rate attached to that is lower than what they could get elsewhere in the market. So this is why bond prices go down when interest rates go up. But think about all the things tied to the interest rate, right? It's all economic. So everybody's talking about, well, interest rates are going to keep going up. Okay. If interest rates are going to keep going up, thereby suppressing bond prices, then what does that mean? That means the economy is about to come roaring back. We're going to have strong economic growth. We're going to have inflation running at 3, 4, 5%, because economic growth should be 3, 4, 5% annualized. which means that economic activity is just going to be going gangbusters and people are going to be borrowing money as fast as they can because there's so much opportunity in the economy. Just between you and me, what do you think that likelihood is? Now, having thought about that, add on to the fact now that we have record levels of debt, And and if interest rates do go higher, what happens on debt, right? That means our interest payments go up. That means more capital is detracted from what could be invested into the economy, either through consumption or through investment into businesses, et cetera. That money has now required to pay the interest on the debt. So that money is no longer available to go into the economy. So if interest rates are moving up, what's happening with the economy? So having taken all that, and I'm not going to tell you the answer here. I want you to think through this logically. But there's a lot of people saying right now, it's like, oh, interest rates are just going to keep going up. Right? That means bond prices are just going to keep going down. What's the Fed's goal? Right now. Bring down inflation. They have a target rate of what on inflation? 2%. If inflation is at 2%, what is economic growth going to be? Because there's there's a very, very long correlation going back to 1947 between inflation, interest rates, and economic growth because they are all a function of each other. Right. Stronger economic growth. I get more inflation, higher the interest rate, vice versa. So if economic growth is expected to be two percent and the Fed wants inflation at that level, two percent. Then where are interest rates going to be? They're currently at three point six. Where interest rates going, if interest rates are going to where economic growth and inflation live, ultimately, that means lower interest rates and there's an inverse relationship to bond prices that means what higher bond prices if if bond prices go up what happens to the value of your bond portfolio and it's just this is just the fundamentals right all this is is, is set all the hyperbole aside about what's happening with the fed And all these other things. And just think about the fact of where the economy is expected to go over the next 12 to 18 months. And even in the best of times, right? Before we went through this whole $5 trillion of liquidity into the economy and and shot, you know, had this short term boost to economic growth because of of massive amounts of stimulus. In the best of times, from 2000 to 2020, the economy grew at 2% annualized. Good and bad. Which is where inflation lives, which is where your interest rates live, which is where bond prices will ultimately live. But Lance, the Fed is hiking interest rates. That means that interest rates are going up, bond prices are going down. No. The Fed only controls the short end of the interest rate curve. They control one-month bills, three-month bills, one-year bills, two-year bills. That's it. Once you get much beyond two-year treasuries, that is, becomes a function of economic growth inflation, especially on the long end of the curve. Once you get into 10-year, 20-year, and 30-year bonds, that is all economic growth and inflation. That has nothing to do with what the Fed is, is doing. Why did interest rates move up last year? Because inflation was moving up. Because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity. You had 12% nominal economic growth in the economy. Of course, interest rates moved up. But that was then. Where are those things going to now? So if you're an investor and you're looking for opportunity in something that is undervalued, where should you be looking? All right, quick break. Come back. Got two more questions. We'll wrap up the show. Thanks for sticking around with us this morning. Tomorrow morning, I promise, we'll have all the bugs worked out or Brent's fired. One of the two. Be right back after the break.
0: daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com
1: so i told my wife this weekend by the way you know it's fathers day on sunday so you know did you know fathers day is the 21st most celebrated holiday in the country christmas is number one mother's day is number two i mean mother's day mothers come behind jesus so father day 21 down the list arbor day comes before father's day so anyway father's day is yesterday and we're having a conversation i told my wife i'm never wrong She said, uh, you might want to examine that because, in my experience, you're always wrong. Of course, she's right. (laughs) Because there's actually logic to this, right? So if you you do logical math, right, you have an equation. You have the man right and the woman's wrong. The answer is the wife is right. If you're wrong and she's right, she's right. If you're both wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> Not her. <laughs> so that's just the math of it. Just just get with it. It's fine. But this kind of goes to what's happening in the market. Everybody was expecting, and I had a really good question about this. This weekend, I got an email talking about, everybody's expecting this recession, the slowdown, so why be invested in the markets? Why not just wait for the recession to occur? And there's a lot of people that expect that, and they've been wrong up to this point. And the question is, is how long can you remain wrong in this market? And there's certainly some things that are going on right now. And, and so the question was this. is like a recession's coming. We all know this. But now this student loan moratorium is coming to an end, which is going to extract billions of dollars of spending from the economy as all those student loan repayments re-gear back up. And that's a very fair statement. The average payment is around $300-ish. And there's a lot of student loan debt out there, $1.5 trillion plus in student loans. Those have all been on moratorium since the financial uh, sorry not the financial crisis since the uh pandemic shutdown which is which is meant and this has been one of the reasons why potentially retail spending has continued to be on such a rise and has been so stable right you know everybody's you know is like hey interest rates are going up credit card debt blah 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 why aren't you know retail sales should be tanking right now and they're not and the reason has been is that there's been an extra roughly on average now again Some people have bigger payments. It's called an average. So some people have larger payments. Some people have smaller payments. But on average, people have had about $300 extra a month to spend. They haven't. Now, if they were smart, if they had been smart, right, what they would have done is like, okay, I'm on moratorium right now. I know I'm eventually going to have to repay this student loan. So I'm just going to keep saving that payment every month just as if I'm paying it. And when the repayments start, then I'll have this whole chunk of money that I can just, you know, slap onto the bill. People don't do that. Nothing stopped you just because there was a moratorium on student loan payments. And they said, oh, you don't have to repay your loan right now. Nothing stopped you if you wanted to keep paying on it to get rid of it. Right. But everybody took advantage of it. And they said, oh, great. I'm not going to pay it. And then, of course, everybody's hoping that student loan forgiveness is going to come along. So, hey, I'm not going to pay any more on it on it because not only do I not have to pay on it right now, they may forgive it and I want to pay it at all. Won't that be great? So we had a lot of extra money sloshing around the economy over the last couple of years because of those lack of payments. Those are going to restart. Now, what everybody's kind of expecting is like, okay, well, that's going to be the trigger that slams this whole economy into recession, maybe. But that has not really been the case so far. That hasn't been the issue so far, right? We, we keep going through these events. It was, you know, got banking crises. That's going to surely put the economy into recession. Not yet. That hiking rates, we're going to have a recession. Maybe, not yet. This is why it's so frustrating, and this is why the bears have been wrong to this point. The markets have been moving higher despite this clear, clear evidence of a recession. Clear evidence a recession is coming. And it probably is at some point. I just don't know when. And and as we've been saying for months now, I don't know. All I know is markets are going up, so I've got to participate, which is why we've been adding exposure to portfolios, because that is what's going on with the markets. And I've got to participate. Fortunately, today, I don't have to worry about it because it's a holiday. (laughs) Markets are closed. But those are the issues that we have to deal with, right? These are the things that we have to focus on. And it's easy to get wrapped up into these narratives because it appeals to our emotional nature. We talked about this last week, is that as individuals, we're afraid of pain. Right? We don't want to get hurt. But fortunately, our genetic makeup allows us to forget pain when we do get hurt fairly quickly. Because otherwise, if we didn't, we would never do anything. As I said before, we'd never leave the cave. Right? We went out one time. We got attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, and so we never left the cave again because we were afraid of getting attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, so we all die of starvation. We have a we have a a genetic makeup that allows us to forget pain very easily. It's, it's why women will have more than one baby. If they if they remembered that pain, they would never have any children after the first one. They're like I'm not doing that one again, you know. But we forget that, right? That's just part of our genetic makeup. It allows us to propagate our species. It allows us to to survive. It allows us to face adversity and move forward. We have that ability because we forget that pain over time. Now, not right away, right? I mean, if you didn't forget the pain of that first love, you know, losing your first love, you would never, you know, get back in a relationship with anybody ever again. It's like, I never want to experience that pain again, but we forget that pain, right? Same thing in the market. When we, we experience losses, we for, we, for a while, we will avoid the market. We'll say, ah, I'm not, uh, rah, rah. not doing that again. I don't want to lose a bunch of money again. And then the market goes up, and the market goes up, and the market goes up. And it's like, well, pfft, I'm missing out. i got to get in, right? But weren't you afraid of losing money? And we see this all the time in terms of our own portfolio management business, right? Clients come in, and they tell us, oh, I'm super conservative. I don't want to lose any money. Be very conservative. Don't take any risk. Okay. We'll build you whatever you want to build, right? Whatever type of portfolio you want, we'll build that for you. And then as soon as the market starts rising rapidly, here comes the phone call. Why aren't we making more money? Well, Because you told us to be super conservative. Well, I want to be making more money. Okay. So we take on more risk. And then the market corrects. I told you I didn't want to lose money. <laughs> right. This is why it's important to have a very structured approach to your portfolio and You have to set those emotions aside because that's where we get trapped. We get trapped in those emotional biases that lead us to make poor investment decisions in our 401k plans, in our portfolios, in our businesses, in life in general. This is why it's important to remember that you're wrong, she's right, regardless of what the, the end result is. You'll live a longer, happier life but it's the same thing in investing is that we have to separate out those emotions which lead us to make bad decisions and this is the hard this is the hardest challenge of investing period is those emotional biases i had a bad experience last year i don't want that to happen again so i'm going to change up all my investments and i'm going to chase what was working last year and i'm going to get rid of everything that didn't work and that's been a terrible decision. A lot of people did it, right? They, everybody last year, energy was up 40% in the year. Everything else was negative. <clears throat> so going into this year, everybody started piling into energy, and they hated tech stocks. And we wrote an article in Oct- and, and uh, at, right at the beginning of November last year, we wrote an article talking about, are FANG stocks dead? And the point we made was that, no, they're not. And that as soon as we started to see a turn in the economy, that's where all the money was going to go because it would be a transition from defensive back to cyclical stocks technology because of, of potential for earnings growth. And disinflation, a decline in inflation, would be a negative for commodity stocks and a positive for cyclical stocks. And that's exactly what happened this year. One of the worst performing sectors this year is energy. One of the, and obviously the best performing sectors are all the cyclicals, right? Uh, technology, um, discretionary communications. They're all dependent upon lower inflation, lower interest rates for growth. And those are where the bets are being made that over the course of the next year, we're going to be looking at lower inflation, slower economic growth, and companies that can generate revenue in that environment. So that's where all the money's flowing right now. Now, will that change? Yeah, eventually it will. And if we do get a recession because of student loan repayments restarting that drags out money from the retail and, uh, retail sales, and that's 40% of personal consumption, which is 70% of GDP, if that does slow economic growth substantially, that will impact this rotation in the markets back towards defensive positioning. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com get our latest newsletter our blog post, our daily market commentary it's all on the website realinvestmentadvice.com if you have any questions or comments feel free send us an email we're always I answer every email every day so feel free just click the ask question button right at the top of the page realinvestmentadvice.com have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow on the next edition of the real investment show